Okay, so if you want a title for today's teaching, it's called uh, Revival-Layers, L-A-Y-E-R-S, Layers. I want to read um, from Revelation chapter 5, 9 to 14. Revelation chapter 5, 9 to 14. Announcements. Um, we might have a midweek meeting if God so wants. Just wanted to give you a heads up. And other than that, oh yeah, Tiger came back. Sorry, Manoj came back. And uh, he's back from India and he's back alone. He's quarantining alone. Uh, just so you know. As for his roommate, once we locate him, we will let you know. <laughs> Revelation chapter 5, 9 to 14. <clears throat> we touched on this. Can I have some more volume in the room? Because I might start shouting otherwise. Revelation chapter 5, uh, verse 9 to 14. And they sang a new song with these words. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered and your blood has ran. Ah, uh, let me read from the message. It's so stark in the message. Revelation 5, 9 to 14. And they sang a new song. Worthy. Take the scroll, open its seals, slain, paying in blood you bought men and women, bought them back from all over the earth, bought them back for God. Then you made them a kingdom, priests for our God, priest kings to rule over the earth. I looked again and I heard a company of angels around the throne, the creatures and the elders, 10,000 times 10,000 their number, thousand after thousand after thousand in full song. The slain lamb is worthy. Take the power, the wealth, the wisdom, the strength. Take the honor, the glory, the blessing. Then I heard every creature in heaven and earth, in underworld and sea, join in all voices in all places singing to the one on the throne, to the lamb, the blessing, the honor, the glory, the strength for age after age after age. And the four creatures called out, Oh, yes. The elders fell to their knees and worshipped. We read this passage uh, during the Shekinah week. And uh, just want to say, as we go over this teaching, that listen as one who has no options. Listen as one who has no options. As in, there's nothing in this teaching that is optional. It is uh, something that we just have to embrace. For the sake of the one unto him, who is on the throne and unto the Lamb, be all glory. Take it, O oh God, take it, it's yours. We don't have options in this, eh? So listen to this teaching as one who has no options and you will begin to burn with a holy fire inside you because that's what God intends. And so to just recap something from a, what seems like ages ago, we are saying that the disruptive glory of God, disruptive glory of God, The disruptive glory of God is flowing like water, is flowing like water, breaking dry ground, breaking dry ground, giving life to soil and seed, giving life to soil and seed. giving life to soil and seed, reviving young men and women across the earth. Reviving young men and women across the earth. Young men and women across the earth. That kind of summarizes what we've been talking about for the last two weeks. I was kind of arguing with God, saying, can't I just leave it as the glory of God instead of saying the disruptive glory? And I felt God saying, nope, that's how you st I started you guys off on this. 
that my glory is going to be disruptive. It cannot be accommodated. It can only be surrendered to. So use the word disruptive glory. And that's why I'm defining it this way. What we've been talking about for the last while is the disruptive glory of God is flowing like water, breaking dry ground, giving life to soil and seed. That's a strange thing with water, eh? When you pour it on ground, it gives life to soil as in it changes the nature of the soil. It makes it um, receptive. It makes it um, ready. And it also gives life to the seed because seed that is dry, the moment you put it, even in, a, in cotton that's soaked in water, we did this in school, the bean would immediately sprout. There's something to this where as soon as it comes, to touch, comes in touch with soil and seed, it gives life, and in the process, it will revive young men and women across the earth. We also said that God is riding this cloud, sorry, riding this revival. God is riding this revival as purifier. God is riding this revival as purifier. And because he's riding this revival as purifier, out of this revival will rise 13 to 30s, 13 to 30s, a generation of teens, 20s, and 30s who will be God-seers because blessed are the pure for they shall see God and who will be ancient gate openers. As in Psalm 24 where it says, lift up your doors, lift up your ancient gates. But who can do that? The ones that have the ability to present to the Lord pure hearts and clean hands so that the king of glory may come in. That's the kind of generation we are looking forward to. And somehow we said what God is doing or birthing here and what God is doing across the earth has some kind of connection to the Hebrides revival from 1949 in the outer Hebrides islands of Scotland. And it's almost like revival 2.0. And lest we forget, remember that Jesus was only 30 when he started and most of his disciples were between 15 and 35. John being the youngest, probably 15, which is why he brought his mother to a fight. And 15 to 35, that was their age group. And that was the group that turned the world upside down. So this is very natural in the kingdom to bring generational change through starting with ones that are young. So what broke out here two weeks ago, and the, the weight of those words sometimes makes me feel that we're being so presumptuous, but uh, yet it is true. What broke out here, or what broke forth from here two weeks ago, has a radial trajectory, as in almost like one of those sound wave things, has a radial trajectory that we are supposed to track with. And if we do, we'll end up accomplishing two things. We will arrest, uh, we will arrest um, historical desolation. We'll arrest historical desolation, as in so much has been made desolate over the last 70 years, so much. Uh, future generations have been stripped to the bone in the last 70 years. So much has been robbed. So many heritages have been left desolate. And so we'll arrest historical desolation and we launch generational restoration. These are not big words. They are just words that sum up what would take two sentences to say. Launch generational restoration. And that goes back to Isaiah 49 verse 8 where it says, and you will restore desolate heritages. This is how God does it, eh? This is how God does it. This is his sovereign stepping in, his sovereign stepping in into, into a situation because it's like enough, I'm drawing a line. My question to God during the week was, if you are sovereignly doing it, what if we don't cooperate? What happens? Does this get hindered or do you just move on? And the answer is both. He will go looking for a remnant, but it will be hindered too because... The best examples are when Jesus would go to Nazareth, when he would go to Capernaum. You read the passages before what happens and you see him healing, people coming to the Lord, demons being chased out, the sick being healed. 
And what is the response of the people? We don't want you here. And what happens? Nazareth and Capernaum miss out on their own homebred son. So yes, it's a sovereign move of God, but if one chooses to opt out, two things happen. One, God goes looking for another remnant. Two, you do hinder what God wants to do here on earth. The other thing that happens when one resists the move of God is that that generation dies in the desert. And the very ones that they prevented from being revived will be revived. But that generation will die in the desert. It is happening to so many denominations and so many churches. The only problem is we don't even know that we're dying in the desert. We're just going around Mount Sinai singing hallelujah. And we keep saying every time we sing it, Ah, shucks, I've seen this mountain before. This is the, this is the, I mean, God is not into penalties and punishment, but this is the, this is the consequence of ignoring a move of God. I pray that we don't, eh? I pray that I don't. So if we were to track this radial kind of trajectory, um, there are, there's a pathway that we'll need to follow, and so that's what we'll talk about for the rest of the afternoon. If you have any questions, feel free to send them. Okay, so the first thing, we said layers of revival. The first thing then that has to happen is we've got to make sure we keep paying attention to personal revival. Personal revival. Personal revival. So that's the first personal revival. Personal revival. Uh, re revival is birth in the heart of God and then can be transferred to the one who has faith for the impossible. Revival is always birth in the heart of God but can easily be transferred to anyone who has faith for the impossible. Therefore, when God starts something like this, it is required of all of us to, um, to exert faith so that he can transfer what is in his heart into our hearts, into my heart, because this is impossible. It is impossible. And that is the beauty of most revivals that God starts. He starts it with the people that are incapable of doing it. He's not looking at a conference. He's not looking at a meeting where people come to get something. No, no, this, th this has the ability to go out. You don't have to come to get it. It, it goes outward. So be devoted to this present cause, eh? Be devoted to this present cause. And I say this present cause because if this is the cause that at present occupies the heart of God for us, it must occupy our heart too. Be devoted to this present cause. Use your life and use your voice effectively to prepare the way. Be devoted. I love the devotion of John the Baptist, man. He knows that someone is coming. He knows that this one who is coming is far greater than him. He knows that he has to begin to prepare the way. He knows there's a cost to pay to prepare the way. He knows that it will put him against all sources of power. But there's a devotion to the cause where he uses his life and voice effectively to prepare the way. So be devoted to the cause. The second one is... Uh, you need a disciplined relentlessness. Disciplined relentlessness. Disciplined relentlessness in disciplined relentlessness in removing heart barriers. In removing heart barriers. This is how personally we can be revived. Because what's the point if everyone gets it but us? Disciplined relentlessness in removing heart barriers. So 
This is something that I've been doing during the week, saying, Father, can you remove from my heart barriers that have lasted for so long and that keep surfacing, that just keep getting provoked when circumstances happen? Is it unworthiness? Is it offense? Where you take offense at things? Is it anger? What is it? Is it guilt? Is it God is punishing me perhaps because of what I did? What is it? I mean, just think of taking care of just one thing, offense. As in deciding that I'll remove the heart barrier of, of offense from my heart. Oh God, help me with this. Revive me in this. You remove offense and then suddenly you realize that you no longer have a desire for revenge. You no longer have pride. You no longer have fear. And you're no longer injured easily. In one shot, you remove four structures. I think I've said this before. I was watching an interview with Michael W. Smith and the guy asked him, so what do you want this year? What's the greatest gift um, that you want this year? He said, if I could by the end of this year be someone who does not take offense, he said, that would be the greatest accomplishment. And I thought, what a thing to desire. For all the New Year resolutions, it was that could I become someone who is unoffended by the end of the year? And in that one shot, all these things disappear, right? Eh? So be disciplined, disciplined relentlessness in removing heart barriers. And you know, you know what happens when all these things go away? You become the meekest man on earth. Because you remove those things and you have to turn meek. Obviously, that means I have some work to do. Did I hear a collective? No, not you, Jacob. Okay. And the third one within personal revival is um, first love. Keep going back to first love, eh? Keep going back to, going back to first love. Keep, keep going back to first love. And first love is always activated through intimacy with Christ. First love is always activated through intimacy with Christ. Keep going back to first love because many revivals are undone by uh, the um, falling away from the place of first love. What strikes me about Jesus' letter to the church that lost its first love was Repent, see how far you have fallen. That was the statement. It's almost as if you fall out of this place called first love. You fall big time. And in most revivals, it's the first thing that is a cost that is paid because people get so caught up in it that first love is lost. And this is why we start with this idea of personal revival. Keep these things in mind, guys. Devotion to the present cause a heart that exerts faith to receive from God the impossible that has been birthed in his heart. Disciplined relentlessness in removing heart barriers and driven by first love. Driven by first love. Go ahead, Don. Yeah, so uh, how do we remove these hard barriers? Um, and what if there are mental illnesses that one is struggling with uh, and uh, you have hard barriers at the same time? Let me answer the first part. I think it's impossible to remove hard barriers without confessing that I have hard barriers. And confessing not to God. 
but confessing one to another so that you may be healed. James chapter 5. So this last week I've had opportunity to deal with one or two heart barriers and I've gone and spoken about it loudly. One to someone who I respect and can help me and I look up to and one to uh, ones who respect me and look up to me and yet I thought, now nah, I've got to speak it out aloud. Heart barriers aren't, nothing in the heart is removed till you speak it, be it love or be it hate. Both have to be brought to the surface before they can be removed. That's the first step. And if I'm struggling emotionally or mentally, then I will need help to get to that place. But there is something to bringing things to the surface that after all these years still holds good in my life. James chapter 5. I think it's 5. Confess your sins one to another. James chapter 5, 15. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power at its working. We always separate those verses because um, to hold them together becomes too problematic. Uh, but the fact remains that uh, this is step one. And so once you get to step one, then we can move on from there. And uh, that is where the healing starts. The next step after personal revival, the next one, is corporate revival. Corporate revival. Corporate revival. Man, I never end up drinking the coffee that I so lovingly brew before I come. Corporate revival. You know, we used to have a, <laughs> a young people's uh, conference of sorts in Bahrain 11 years ago, even before the Bahrain church started. And it used to be called Hebrews. And we used to have these coffee mugs with Hebrews written on it. Was that Jane or Charlene? All righty. Dawn, three months? Okay. <laughs> corporate revival. Corporate revival is fueled. Corporate revival is fueled by a spontaneous, by the spontaneous call, by the spontaneous call of the Spirit. and the strategic sending out of the Spirit. So corporate revival is fueled by the spontaneous call and the strategic sending of the Spirit. Uh, what do you mean by that? If we want to stay in a place of revival, we have to be like dogs that have their ears cocked to their master's whisper sound car uh, g keys, opening of the gate, smell, footsteps. It doesn't matter what it is. Your ears are cocked. You, it, uh, and it is, it is critical to sustaining a revival, not to have a week of meetings and then switch off, but to increasingly become highly aware of his greatness and his nearness because it's only supposed to increase. It's not supposed to be static or stagnant. So over the last week, uh, you may have uh, recuperated from long nights, late nights, but I hope you didn't recuperate from the alertness to God. If anything, it should increase. It's like Job 37, 11 to 13, which is quickly becoming one of my favorite verses. Job 37, 
11 to 13. I'll read it from two different versions. First one, he loads the thick cloud with moisture. The clouds scatter his lightning. They turn around and around by his guidance to accomplish all that he commands them on the face of the habitable world. Whether for correction or for his land or for love, he causes it to happen. Let me read it from the message. And yes, it's God who fills clouds with rainwater and hurls lightning from them every which way. He puts them through their paces, first this way, then that, commands them to do what he says all over the world. Whether for discipline or grace or extravagant love, he makes sure they make their mark. This is the idea of being fueled by the spontaneous call of the Spirit and the strategic sending of the Spirit. It's on one hand, it, it does not require our permission. It is, it, is, it is surrendering to his desire as and when any time of the day. And on the other hand, it is this idea of doing what he very specifically plans. There's an order to it, it's strategic, and that is the way God does with the clouds. He puts them through the paces in, 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 initially to have them move whichever way he wants, but then he has very deliberate intent to either bring grace or correction or extravagance to the land. And that's how this works. And that's why I said, if tomorrow the Lord says, hey guys, do another three days, even if it means that there'll be only one person on stage because it's too uh, abrupt, so be it. It's a majority of one, right? So may you live in an increasing awareness of his greatness and nearness this week. One of the ways to do it is to invite people to pray with you during the week. Not pray for something. Pray, pray for God. Pray for God. Not pray for the pastor or pray for the church or pray for revival to break out. Sometimes it is just to pray for God. It was something that happened this week where I'd call people to pray for God and you would, be, you would know that our ah, shucks. If it means going out for a walk or calling someone in your bubble or um, soon Zoom and live stream will be words used in the Bible at the rate it's going. I hope not. The other thing that's required for corporate revival is one accordness, one accordness. As in, if you thought that there was some kind of unity in the church, now we're talking about an increase in it. One accordness. And this one accordness is always through relational ownership. Through relational ownership. As in, you own me. Not I own you. You own me. That's how one accordness happens. Where you begin to become a sacred community that lives life together, allowing for relational ownership, leading to one accordness. Yeah. Pray for God means, Father, don't want anything, Lord, just want you. Don't want anything. Actually, you can have everything. But give me Jesus. And you'll find that if, when you pray like this, actually you can have everything becomes a reality because you know it's a great trade-off. And so your hand gets stronger on someone called Jesus and your hand gets looser over everything else. And once your hand gets looser over everything else, God begins to then find it very easy to direct you to start disbursing it. Be it grace, gifts, wealth, lifetime, it just goes easily. Half the time God is struggling with me to have me give something away because I got one hand on him and one hand on that.
I pray that our one accordness increases. It's not, it's not bad at all at Acts 29. I marvel at how, how you serve each other, how you esteem each other more than yourself. I marvel at it. I almost think I didn't model it. Then I think to myself, nah, take the credit. But the point is this, that you guys are already so good at it. But then we are trying to step into a place of greater one accordness where there is relation, relational ownership. You own me. And so we live effectively as a sacred or consecrated community. And then when we do this, guys, Isaiah 40 verse 3 to 5 will happen. Isaiah 40, 3 to 5. Isaiah 40, 3 to 5 will happen, which is so important in a revival. Isaiah 40, verse 3 to 5. So then we become that voice, a voice of one calling. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill be made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all the people will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Awesome! This is what happens when we begin to run in this pathway that God arranges for us. Eh? The third thing is regional, regional, or territorial revival, regional or territorial revival, regional or territorial revival. Sue had written, texted me, saying we should keep a chronicle of the things that happened during this time so that someone can read it like we read the Hebrides revival and I agree so when things happen in your life in this area keep writing them down keep writing them down keep writing your personal uh, revival and your encounters with God because some of them you may not be able to speak yet or discuss yet but chronicle them a time will come territorial or regional revival this operates on two levels. This operates on two levels. Regional or territorial revival operates on two levels. First level is subduing regional or territorial spirits. And the second, and the second is opening doors and ancient gates in the territory. Opening doors and gates and ancient gates in the territory or in the region. So this is territorial or regional revival. It operates on two levels. One, subduing territorial spirits. Subduing territorial spirits. And two, opening doors and ancient gates in the region through prayer and action. Through prayer and action. I think we'll be talking about this next week in detail because uh, this is an important part of revival that we haven't touched and I, I've t not touched it deliberately because I think there's a time for it but maybe it's next week. Uh, why should we do this? So that the king of glory may come in. So that the king of glory may come in and so that young prisoners may come out. It's both ways, eh? So the king of glory comes in and young men and women come out from prisons. The king of glory comes in and young prisoners come out. It'll be awesome. These are true things. Have the faith for the impossible. These are things in the heart of God. Hopefully we'll deal with it next week. When it comes to territorial or regional revival, marry the land. Huh? Marry the land as in 
commit to its young men and women. Commit to the land. Commit your heart to the land that you've been given. Commit to the young men and young women. Commit to loving them and not taking offense. Commit to them. When I was in a certain Middle Eastern country long ago, I remember going for a meeting where people were asking for a revival of the country. And then at one point I asked them whether they really like the people in the country, and the answer was no. They found them cruel, they found them uh, unfair masters, they found them uh, exploiters, and they just uh, didn't think very highly of the people that they were praying would be touched with a revival. And so we may not think like that, but we may have neutral hearts about the land that we are in. Old prisoners, yeah. So the uh, the question is, what about uh, we keep talking about the thirteen thirties, as in the ones who are teens, twenties, thirties, early forties? We're talking about them. What about ones that are older, like Jacob? Uh, <laughs> terrible, eh? When I begin to own up to stuff like that. Um, what about uh, oh, uh, the older? Uh, I'm sure that. They'll be included, but the focus and the emphasis at present is on changing at least two or three generations down the line. So rather than be all uh, inclusive, I'll just to stick to God's exclusiveness, knowing that he cares for the old as much as the young, because they're all kids in his eyes. But because of the emphasis that he is putting on the 1330s, I'll just stick with his emphasis for now. But... Um, he is impartial. Yeah. Yeah. So marry the land. Commit to its young men and women by committing to love them and not take offense. I don't think we've done that yet in our hearts. We are neutral to it. I want to get to a point, and uh, I'm just saying what I want, and I'm sure it's... Uh, more amplified in your heart. Um, what I want is that every time I see this group that God at present is running after, that something triggers in my heart. That there's some kind of cry that begins to rise in my heart. That I'm drawn to them. We said this before, a burden allows you to co-labor with God's heart. A burden allows you to co-labor with God's heart. Ask for this gift, eh? Ask for this gift. It's a gift that God could give us. We prayed for it that day. Uh, I think Shekinah 4 or Shekinah 5. We prayed for it. But a burden allows me to co-labor with God's heart. Ask for this gift. Pray Lamentations 2.19. Um, someone's been going through the book of Lamentations, trying to see God's heart in the whole thing. Uh, Lamentations uh, 2.19. Lamentations 2.19. And we read this verse last time. I want to read it again. Arise, cry out in the night as the watches of the night begin. Pour out your heart like water in the presence of the Lord. Lift up your hands to him for the lives of your children who faint from hunger at every street corner. Guys, I hope it happens. Eh? I hope you're woken up in the night. Lamentations 2 verse 19. And that when you're woken up in the night, you're either given a specific um, young person to pray for or you're given a group to pray for or a city to pray for and that Lamentations 2.19 becomes real. That John 4.10 becomes real. When you're walking on the streets, John 4.10 begins to cry out from your heart till it forces you to do something. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is, that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. That inside you there's this gnawing desire to go up because you know you have what they need. That will bring them to a place where there'll be no more tears, no more fear, no more sorrow. That First Kings 17, 20 to 24 will be something that really bothers you where Elijah stretches himself out on the boy, hand to hand, feet to feet, mouth to mouth, and revives him. One thing I know, guys, is, uh, is how my heart begins to beat when I see 
a young man or a woman who wants to run for God. I'll pour myself out, man. It is so worth it. It is not that I, uh, I'm not interested in people my age, but sometimes God puts in your heart this passion for this can steer the ship back exactly where it should be. And may it be a burden, eh? may we carry it. I've never asked God for burdens. But his burden is light and his yoke is light and his burden is easy and he will teach us how to walk under it. I pray that we have disturbed nights. Territories, regions are the place where you live. Territories are places given to you. Region is the place where you live. Territory is a place given to you. So I believe that yes, I live in Vancouver, but I also believe that territories are places given to us. I believe that Bahrain is given to us, that we have clout in Bahrain. I believe that uh, this little city called Kaunas in Lithuania is given to us, that I've only been there once, but my God, that city is mine. How presumptuous, how boastful. Absolutely, because my boast is in the Lord. Once these territories and regions um, are approached this way with the subduing of territorial spirits and the opening of doors and ancient gates, you will see how this revival that we are talking about, this, this disruptive glory of God which is flowing like water, breaking dry ground, giving life to soil and seed, reviving young men and women across the earth will begin to happen. It's just mind-boggling, man. What are we doing in this? The next, so personal, corporate, uh, regional, and the next one is uh, societal, 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 societal revival, societal revival, as in you begin to use your vocation, your wealth, your sphere of influence to affect spiritual and physical changes. You begin to use your vocation, your wealth, your sphere of influence to bring physical and spiritual change to everybody, but in our present circumstance, to the 1330s. What is this? Did you ask a question? Or were you just stretching? Okay. So, um, what does this look like? Let me give you some examples that are already happening, guys. So, there are some guys in this church who have put together a group that is already beginning work in schools and secular institutions dealing with the uh, damage that porn can bring to life. There's material being written, courses being put together, not, not, for, not for believers in churches, they're included, but for Colleges, universities, schools, institutions. There are people who have decided that they'll uh, begin to focus on certain ethnicities that may need uh, legal help or counseling help so that in that ethnic group, there's a reaching out that can change both physical and spiritual circumstances. There's someone else who's decided that they'll take a lump sum of money and put it towards um, um, water projects in cities or nations where um, just a drop of water will unleash spiritual and physical change amongst the 1330s. Um, places where there are rescue homes for girls 
And there'll never be a dearth for that, eh? And for boys, abused, rescued. I'm just giving you a few that come to mind. Societal revival is when Isaiah 58 <laughs> grabs the heart of a people. Will you be a torchbearer for the great move of God? It can be local, it can be global, it can be regional. But I'm saying to you that every person in this church has the potential to bring about societal revival. It's a starfish story. So what if it is one girl? My God, can you imagine what a difference it makes to one girl? Can you imagine that? This is the cool thing about God. He takes your small, small flask of oil. He takes your two fish. That's how he works. Then he adds it all up. Then he adds to it. That's what societal revival looks like. And I really believe that every person in this church has the ability to do this. Every person. You're suddenly looking at, uh, this is a really uh, an analogy that I have absolutely no expertise in. It's like uh, everybody bringing a potted plant or flower and then putting them together and they look like one beautiful, um, whatever it looks like when you 50 people bring flowers. It's that kind of a thing. It, lo it just looks amazing. Yeah? Well, if it helped, so be it. With your masks on, I don't know whether you're scoffing or laughing. Yeah. I noticed, however, that there was no sound from Charlene's corner. Sorry. <laughs> what did she say? Oh, she Like a friend of mine would say, no coffee for you. The next uh, revival is cultural. Cultural revival. No, this is not a Mao thing. Cultural revival. Cultural revival is training young minds to process and live the word of God publicly. Cultural revival is training young minds to process and live the word publicly. Live the word publicly. There's a dearth of this, guys. There's a dearth of this. There's no dearth of worship for young people. There's no dearth of uh, programs and uh, camps and conferences and hikes and treks and stuff like that. There's no dearth of that. But there is a severe dearth of the young that already exist in churches. And you're talking about millions, millions that already exist that do not know how to process the word or live out the word. That the word is not becoming flesh. Cultures shift when the collective mindset or the thinking of a people shifts. And unfortunately, it is the collective mindset of the world that still is used by the ones in the church to process life with Bookends of prayer and worship. This must change and it can change. It is absolutely doable. I have seen it. But these young men and women know how to process and live the word publicly at cost. At cost, it doesn't matter to them. They become young men and women of godly character, able to articulate the word in flesh, calling 
themselves to a life of sacrifice, of generosity, of abandonment, of total obedience to Jesus and his teachings. Hey, I've seen that in the young people in this church. I've seen this outside of this church. And if you're a young person and you don't feel counted among the ones I've mentioned, well then, rise up. If, if, if we don't work with what we have, it's wrong to expect work amongst what we don't presently have. We start with what we have. We take our two loaves and five fish and multiply it. You know, John Wesley, there's this John Wesley Chapel in Bristol. It was one of the first places I visited when I went there. John Wesley went went to this um, town in Germany called Hernat, I think, H-E-R-R-N-H-U-T. And he was visiting this Moravian movement in Hernat. And he comes back and his words were, Oh, when shall this Christianity cover the earth as the waters cover the sea? Oh, when shall this Christianity... He saw how the Moravians functioned, how, how dedicated they were to the word, how obedient they were, how looking forward to the future they were. Even during times of funerals, he was so moved by this that he begins to cry out saying, Oh, when shall this Christianity cover the earth as the waters cover the seas? And I'm saying the time is now and that we already have the first fruits in this church. Takes a couple of Daniels, Josephs, uh, Azariahs, Hananiahs and Michels to change an entire Babylonian system. It's doable. I should ask um, Don to come up. Um, last, I don't know when, uh, when planes used to fly, Don and I went to this little nowhere town called Down, um, near a place called Pune, and uh, spent some time with 600 young people. Yeah. Do you want to grab a mic? Because I'm not giving you mine. You may, so, want to, you may want to stand here next, facing the camera. Yeah. So, uh, in 2018, April, uh, Jacob and I, we... 2019. 19 April, sorry. <laughs> it was April for sure. And uh, so, Jacob and I, we went to Pune. And before I go there, uh, let me just quickly tell you something. So, one and a half years back, God put something in my heart for young guys. And uh, it was a burden, um, and I didn't know how to do anything with it. And I've spoken with some of you guys about this passion for young men and women. And I know that the same thing was put in some other people in, the same, in Acts 29, and people started doing the same thing, um, you know, without, like, we didn't know about it. But now when Jacob was telling about the revival among young people, I know that God has been, you know, starting the process and preparing us towards it. So um, I am for sure, like my heart is rejoicing in what God is doing with this revival with young men and women. And God has been using and preparing this church for what is uh, about to come. And in Pune, what I saw was just truth setting people free. And um, I'll give you one quick instance where Jacob uh, was teaching about God being the master and mammon not being the master. And this quick, I've probably told about this one before, um, and this is for the guys who haven't listened to this story. So Jacob talked about, you know, money not being the master, but it should become our slave, and God should be the master. And towards the end, um, as a symbolic action, Jacob asked people to, you know, just drop money uh, in front. And this is around 600 people in a big camp. So people started coming up. There was a little bit of hesitation because people didn't know about this, right? For them, it's a whole new thing where, you know, because you work hard for money, you don't just give it away. So this was a great thing where people just started coming slowly. They dropped 10 rupees or, um, you know, 20 rupees 
little by little, and then a lot of people started coming in. And then, so we have a heap of money right now. And people thought that would be it, right? And they could just, you know, the church will take it. But then Jacob said, you know what? If anybody here has anything, like if there is a need for money, come and pick it from this, this heap here. And nobody started responding. So a minute went by, two minutes went by. And then one person stood up and he, he, he's weeping, he's bawling. And he, he, he comes and he takes um, a note from there. And then slowly two or three or four people come. And then there's this great, I don't know how to express it, but there's this great bondage being broken feeling, the truth setting people free. And then they realize this is what body means, where you can come and take. And God just does not, you know, he, he does sometimes, but it's not always about showering money from heaven to its you know, people coming together, using the body, helping each other, and people are just crying. And as people are taking money, more people come and they put money in. And at some point, people started throwing the whole wallets, their credit cards, their car keys. So what I've realized that is that truth will set people apart. That will set people free. And, um, you know, I am coming from a similar tradition where... For a long time, God's face was distorted because of people, because of traditions, because of um, denominations and everything they bring in. And there are young men and women who are actively pursuing God, but they cannot find the truth. And that is where people like us, who knows, who knows the truth, we should come in and we, we should show the face of God. And once we show the face of God, forever their lives are transformed. Forever their lives are changed. I know that Prashant is meeting in a small group. Unbelievable th things are happening and, you know, people are getting healed. Recently, a, a girl from a Hindu background, she, she got saved and now she's going out and she's doing this. We are just raising leaders, guys. Um, and God is doing great things through this, through this church. And, like, I'm extremely happy that, you know, God is doing this revival and we can be a part of it. Thanks, Tom. Guys, what happened over the three days in this place that Don and I went to was remarkably. It, 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 like he said, when, when young people see the face of God and see it without distortion, it does something to them because they're pursuing God even through the distortion. And when they see it without distortion, it does something to them. It just flips them. And just imagine what God can do when he starts a sovereign move like this. I would say to you, begin to pray that in the few, the, the, begin to pray that, oh God, would you end this pandemic so that this revival can take on, the, take on, take on wings, oh God, that, that we can actually go, that it won't be through Zoom that they'll see. They'll see it in flesh and blood. Begin to pray for the end of this pandemic just so that what God has begun will begin to go. Guys, these are good reasons to pray and enter something. Eh? Pray and enter something so that something else can start. So that in different cities, in Pune, in, in Slovakia, in Lithuania, in uh, places that we haven't gone to yet, that we will be able, in the name of Jesus Christ, I had to say name of Jesus Christ after doing that, uh, so that we will be able to get together, maybe 20 youth, maybe 600, but change them dramatically. Show them the face of God. Tell them, listen, the time has come. Now is the time. You will learn in a very short while what would have taken you much longer. You will have the courage to step out of tradition, to step out of the old wineskin, even if that means who is my mother and my brother, so be it. Because what is at stake is at least two or three generations. Oh, when shall this Christianity cover the earth as the waters cover the seas? I will see it. You don't realize how each of you has been set up for a time like this. Think back, think back. Think back at how you became a believer. Think back through the story of your life. Think back at how you arrived at this ragtag bunch of guys called Acts 29. Think back. And you'll realize he's set us up for a time like this. 
still remember an old man in white shirt and white pants, I think. I wasn't sure whether it was a dhoti or a pant, but with a flowing white beard, putting his gnarly big hand on my head and saying, this man will serve God and he will see things. And I think that that time is coming now, 50 years later. Man, we've been set up. The last trajectory or uh, revival that we should pay attention to is global revival. Global revival. Global revival. So we've been through personal, corporate, territorial or regional, societal, cultural, and finally global. Global revival happens to nations through cities. Two nations through cities. Two nations through cities. Two nations through cities. So nations are affected through cities. And this is an old Holy Spirit strategy. He'll pick certain nations. He'll pick Antioch. He'll pick Rome. He'll pick um, Ephesus. He'll pick these strategic cities because he knows their influence. And he knows that if something can be established there, it'll spread. Why Rome? Why at that particular time? Because Rome was building roads, man. Things would travel faster. You think God hasn't planned this revival perfectly? So that things happen through Zoom and live stream and then through real time flesh and blood? His timing is so wise that Satan is always uh, kicking himself. Thinking, ah, I got him now. Ah, I don't have him at all. So global revival happens in nations through cities. Uh, how does it happen? Initially, it happens through Peter and John and Apollos. Initially, it happens through initially it happens through Peter and John and Paul and Apollos, meaning uh, it'll happen through people that God has raised for a time such as this. They go out and uh, they affect cities or they affect congregations. So initially it's through equipers that God has set up for a time such as this. Then it happens through Timothy's, Elisha's, David's, um, Samuel's, so these are ones who run with a double portion because they've learned well from their fathers and they now begin to run with twice as much strength, cover much more distance in a much shorter time just because of, the, uh, of that scripture that they will join you at the break of dawn with the vigor of youth resplendent in holy armor. Then it goes to the Syrophoenician woman. the Ethiopian eunuch. Naaman's. Centurions. These are people that are affected in the process by Peter's, uh, John's, Paul's, um, uh, Elisha, Samuel's, uh, Timothy's, these are people affected by them that have been touched by God. These are people who are almost second generation. They were affected by what God did through these. By the Syrophoenician woman, the Ethiopian eunuch, the woman at the well, the woman freed from divination in Acts 16. They begin to carry this into nations. And then the last category is uh, those that listen to your sermon on a mountain, like people did listen to the sermon on the mount from Jesus, or those who come to argue with you at Mars Hill, 
like they did with Paul in Athens. Or those that gather in a church in Troas uh, till Eutychus falls off the uh, windowsill because it's a midnight meeting. Or leaders in some church you've never met who gather at a beach in Miletus uh, to listen to Paul give them final instructions. Now these are unknown people that you may only meet once. But the thing with torchbearers is once the torch is lit, it will set on fire any piece of wood that is offered. Best that people not come anywhere near you with any kind of wood or anything flammable for the next little while. Because within two or three Zoom conversations, um, they'll find that you're not interested in the weather. And that you're obsessed with this thing that obsesses the heart of God right now. And either it's the fire is too hot or they'll catch it and run. You won't be less fun. You'll be as absurd and uh, quirky as you already are. But there'll be something obsessive about your quirkiness. Manoj won't change. Don won't change. Emily won't change. Sheldon, definitely not. But there'll be something about them that'll be, oh, Mike, my God, don't even go there. But there'll be something quirky about them, yet there'll be something that is so flammable about them. I know I'm trying to make it light, but it ain't light, man. There's this beautiful words in Hosea 2.23. It says, Lo Ruhama and Lo Ami will be called my beloved and my people. As in, Lo Ruhama means those that are not mine. Lo Ami means those that are not my people. Those are, Lo Ruhami means those that are not loved. Lo Ami means, uh, yeah. Those that are not loved and those that are not mine will be called beloved and will be called mine. And that is what happens in a revival. The strangest of people. Hosea chapter 2 verse 23. That is what will happen. I want to say to you that you'll find in the next little while nations, I'm talking about this global revival, connections in nations that you never thought you would have, that you never sought, that come to you. Slovakia for instance. I'll tell you something else. Bangladesh is coming. Where we'll have some kind of a inroad into Bangladesh. These are the nations that will come just because this revival is global. 